0: The following episode features swear words. I mean, only like PG13 type swear words, but still, viewer discretion is advised. I think these are a little sweet. What do you think?
1: I absolutely perfect.
0: Is it? Okay.
1: Yeah, I That's... like that it's a little bit sweet. Alright,
0: we'll go with it then. This day may be your food. Good day, sir. Good day to you. Good day, ma'am. Good day, child. Good day, doggy. Oof. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of This Band Could Be Your Food, recorded here live. Live. It's recorded. That's a dumb thing to say. Today, we're talking about Foreigner. Do you know Foreigner? What do you think of when you think of Foreigner? Foreigner is uh, not my first choice when it comes to bands. When I imagined doing this little show, never did I think Foreigner is going to be in the in the first 20 episodes, but... You know what? I called up my buddy, Charlie Schmidt. You remember, Charlie. He's done a bunch of episodes. He said, hey, what do you think about Foreigner? Uh, And I'll tell you what I think about Foreigner in a bit. But I'm just excited to be talking about music and talking about food and sharing recipes with good friends and, you know, especially over a delicious cup of coffee. Hey, speaking of coffee, ladies and gentlemen, this week, we are once again sponsored by Izzy's Coffee in Asheville, North Carolina. You ever heard of Izzy's Coffee? They got two shops. You got one downtown and then one not downtown. I wonder, the the one who's not downtown, can you, do they have a drive-up option? Because I was talking to my father the other day and he says, if you're going to start a coffee shop, you should have a drive-up option because he was looking at Starbucks the other day and there was just a line around the block and he said, oh, whoever invented the drive-up coffee, that's the guy who's not working anymore. But that said, my favorite location is the downtown location. You can just walk with your own two feet and get a cup of coffee and like they used to do back in the old days. And they still do it. You got feet. You got a mouth. Go down and get yourself a cup of delicious coffee. While you're there, pick up a muffin or a scone. Do they have scones? You know what? I'm going to find out because I'm actually going to be going down to Asheville next weekend. That's right. I'm going to be making a special trip. Maybe we're going to do a live show down there. Who knows? We're going to have to see... (laughs) we have to see if we have an audience in Asheville, North Carolina. And if we don't, we'll make one. But until then, raise your glasses and have a delicious cup or two of Izzy's coffee. I'm on my third. Cheers. Ouch. That's hot. I'm on my second pot. Moving on, Foreigner. Foreigner is a band I didn't really know very much about. Obviously, you know their hits. They're, they're the kind of band where you don't know how many hits they have until you go see them, at like say the Wisconsin State Fair or something along those lines. And man, that band is chock full of hits, more than you remember. You've got your soft rock, "I Don't Want to Live Without You." Well, you're gonna you're gonna hear Charlie and I, uh, sing a lot of Forner songs. So I'm I'm gonna spare the singing for now. And in, in my pursuit to pair up Foreigner with the food. And going through their history, I'll tell you right off the bat the most interesting fact about Foreigner. There's two main people you think of when you think of Foreigner, and that one is is Lou Graham, their singer, which actually most people, that's probably the only person they think of. But there's another guy. His name is Mick Jones. He's sort of the guy who invented the band in the first place. He came up with the thing. He wrote most of the songs. He put the bandmates together. He found Lou Graham. He did everything. So the interesting fact is that Mick Jones is the stepfather of Mark Ronson. Do you know Mark Ronson? Mark Ronson is a very famous, they'll say like record producer, but but he's like produced songs by, he produced Amy Winehouse's Back in Black. He produced Uptown Funk. I think he even played guitar on it. He did these wildly successful albums where you've got ton of killer artists on it and like they all sing one song. It's kind of revolutionary. Nobody really does like what he does. So anyways, apparently he's the stepson of the guitar player Foreigner. Isn't that crazy? The guy grew up worshiping Foreigner and actually credits a lot of the work that his stepfather Mick Jones did, you know, exposing him to a lot of great music and And producing a lot of great music and producing some crap. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the guy who produced Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Another fact I uncovered. All right, well, I don't want to tell you all the facts now in the intro. It is time for the conversation between myself and Charlie Schmidt as him and I discuss the finer points of the band Foreigner. Where are they from? You're going to find out. One, two, three, go! Foreigner, now this this is your idea. You called me up, you're like, What do you think of Foreigner? And I and I said, Frank frankly, honestly, Foreigner really kicks ass. Yeah. <laughs> and you forget about it because they become like part of the fabric of AOR radio. One of those bands that you don't have to buy their records because they're just so prominently played all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're thinking about Foreigner, you you think oh yeah, they've they've got two, three hits, but they've got a billion hits yeah if you go see 400 plays just like oh i know that song oh i I know that song too you you know all the songs yeah it's like every album has at least you know two three killer songs that are still played on the radio all the time Mm -hmm. in fact when i first started playing the ukulele i found out that it's actually pretty easy to play cold as ice on the ukulele (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so amazing. I, that was one of the first songs i learned on the ukulele i no idea it just sort of came out like when you just play it open it's just like oh that's the that's the first What's chord the first... and <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing.
0: maybe that's how he learned how to play it he being mick jones mick jones is the curator of the band foreigner uh for all these those of you who are wondering if you ever have seen foreigner maybe in the last last 10 years and you saw four strapping, five strapping young men, and then a, a guy who looks like you know an accountant's father. That would be the guitar player of Foreigner. He doesn't look the part anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I saw a Foreigner and White Snake in Jersey. Ooh, and uh, like when? Oh, I think it was the summer before the pandemic. Okay, so that would be the summer of 2018. Okay. Look, let's be honest. Y- you have these super groups and they're they have a huge catalog of songs and they have a an extremely huge fan base. And they have to keep it going. And let's be honest. I mean, it's you need these sometimes these ringers to come in. Like Journey's got a ringer. Sure. You know that that, that they found um it's not the original and and we get that, but yeah. um
0: but in all honesty, it's actually Better than the original foreigner sure they didn't write the songs but if you watch old clips of foreigner playing they're pretty stiff
1: yeah and the new
0: lou graham is a great singer but (laughs) it's always kind of lacked it as a stage performer in my if you ask me right yeah
1: yeah and i have to say i mean the the lineup that they had i mean they were just like kicking the crap out of the songs i mean it was i mean it was you were watching foreigner as it was intended for studio performances and radio play. I mean, they were really hitting it out of the park.
0: Sure. Because when that band was constructed, as I said, it was it was sort of the architect was Mick Jones. Mick Jones had come from a long lineage of different bands. He actually got to hang out with the Beatles for a while because he was the guitar player for the French Elvis. Mm. Uh, that's where he sort of got his first start. I mean, he was sort of playing in little bands, but somehow got connected with with the French Elvis. And uh, they were opening up for the Beatles. And uh, right, you know, before the Beatles were like really getting at their peak, but, you know, they were doing a string of shows. And, you know, in those days, it was like the band would play, one band would play, and they would have to get off the stage immediately. And the other band would get on stage immediately. There would be no 20 minute intermission between bands. So mm-hmm. many times, or at least in this instance, uh, Mick Jones was exiting the stage and ran directly into John Lennon. Mm-hmm. They knocked each other over. And apparently he had a little, a few expletives to say. And John Lennon got up and he goes, oh, you're from England? I thought you were one of those, uh, one of those froggies or something. So then <laughs> after the show, they invited him to hang out. And I guess he like hung out with the Beatles up in their their little like loft or whatever for five, six days, you know, getting into rock and roll trouble and playing music and stuff. So nice. Yeah. You know. From there, he actually joined another band called Spooky Tooth. And it was sort of him as one of the co-songwriters along with another fella. I forget his name. If I could just interrupt myself for a quick moment, that's not true. Although Mick Jones did join Spooky Tooth, it was the second or third version of the band. They were a band that had a hard time getting things going. Their main vocalist was Mike Harrison, and he was pretty good. But, you know, the band, they would sound like... I don't know, pick a late 60s into early 70s band. Iron Butterfly, Uriah Heep, Humble Pie, you know, that kind of thing. Right on the cusp of being all out prog, but but not quite. But later members of the group, you know, Mick Jones went on to form Foreigner. One guy joined Steeler's Wheels, another guy joined The Only Ones, who are awesome. And then when they tried to do Spooky Tooth in 2008, apparently the guitar player of Mr. Mister joined in. And that's probably all you need to know about Spooky Tooth. Game on. Uh, That fellow apparently was really into the drugs. Kind of a guy who would, uh, on tour, sell his guitar for dope. Mm. Uh, And So Mick said, this isn't going to work. At that point, he was living in New York, and he was starting to write the music that would become Foreigner. And he just needed to put a band together. And that took a little bit of time. And eventually, he got all the players, and they made a record. And the record was doing well. And then they had to... Transpose that into a stage show, mm. and that didn't come naturally for him. Took a number of years, and they they all kind of admit that their stage shows sort of lacked. So, mm. with that in mind, to have this new foreigner, it's you know still in in the same spirit of of what Mick Jones initially wanted to do. You know, he sort of created the music first, and then the stage show later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's the first time it's made sense to me. Yeah, just now because. Uh, it, you know, in the recent days, in the recent past couple of years, Mick Jones has had a, like a major tumor in his brain that he had to get removed. That's right. Yeah. Both him and Lou Graham both had, Lou Graham had like an egg-sized tumor in his head that he get, had to get removed. Yeah. Mick Jones, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly what it was, something along those lines. He had brain surgery. Did I say brain surgery? I meant heart surgery. Mick Jones, he had a major bypass in february of 2012 still very dire but yes Lou graham brain surgery mick jones heart surgery we're clear we're clear so when they perform these days he'll usually come out and just play a few songs right and then he just goes back just because somebody from foreigner should probably be at the foreigner show
1: definitely it's a quality (laughs) control (laughs) yes exactly although it's like a little bit like the simpsons episode where mr burns is like you know building the baseball team and they're like he gets like daryl strawberry and like you know like like all these like really crazy like a-list players and he's like i told you to shave those sideburns you know it's like (laughs) not you know it's like meanwhile these guys are like just playing baseball like nobody's business, you yeah. know? It's like a little bit like that. You could tell with Farner, like, when they came on stage, it was like, holy crap, like, who yeah. is this? But yeah, their catalog spans from the early 70s yep. all the way through, I think, I'm not sure when their last real radio hit was, but even some of the B-sides on their compilation records are insane, like, Jeff and I, our bass players, share the love of this one song, um that was yesterday do yeah, doo, yeah, yeah. Doo, doo, doo. that's what it's called that was yesterday that was yesterday there we go it's and I don't I mean I'm sure that was a sort of a hit yeah but maybe didn't make it as as high up as I want to know what love is or something but it's still sure. like just a great like rock and roll song you know? absolutely so yeah
0: they're a great rock and roll band uh they started out trying to be a rock and roll band and that's Part of the reason why Lou Graham left the group because as they were starting to segue into the 80s, Mick Jones was getting more into synthesizers and starting to get more into like soft rock. And, you know, which is funny that the guitar player was the guy who was like, let's get softer. And the singer Lou Graham, who to me, like, feels like the soft rock guy. But that's just mostly because we have been hearing his voice singing, you know, I don't want to live without you. You know so, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've been hearing his voice, like, doing that for so long, so it sort of feels like maybe he'd be the soft guy. But he was the one who wanted to keep it rocking. Right. Um, but they actually continued to have hits. Mm-hmm. Um, not as big, but they had, like, a minor hit on a recent record. Maybe it was 2009. Wow. Yeah. They <laughs> they were smart enough to recognize where the foreigner fans were. And it turned out that they're really into NASCAR. So they started playing NASCAR events, like as the band. And wow. they even wrote a song dedicated to NASCAR. And that was the song that like put their album back into the Billboard charts again. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't really being played on radio, but it was playing at the NASCAR.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's and NASCAR is what? Two hundred thousand people, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's,
0: it's like country music, man.
1: Wow, there's
0: there's a fan base.
1: Yeah, there's a huge fan base. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was when I was in like high school. You know, you'd walk to the record store. I'm sure you know that's like obviously this is before cell phones and you know Spotify and YouTube, but like you know you kind of walk through the record store, peruse what they had, but I would always buy. Uh, my older brother or whatever would be like you know you you should check that out you should check that out so i remember i bought like a um whatever it is like a compilation of like a foreign like foreigner, like a tape right right? of like all their hits yeah i remember like jukebox hero i mean dude dude that's the first that was the a side of the of the song like of the the listing you know and it's just like from the it is you know it's funny that it got taken into the Broadway sector because it's like the song opens up with this extremely vivid scene yes. of this kid, you know, getting this guitar and like, you know, he didn't have enough money getting to get into the concert. I mean, it's like, come on, this is just too good to be true. It's like, it, it plays out like a, like a Broadway show. It really does. I mean, but when those guitars come in, let, let me, let me, I'm just going to say
0: the lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> they're so kind of bad. Standing in the rain with his head hang low, couldn't get a ticket. It was a sold out show. This plays almost like uh, like the night before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, heard the roar of the crowd. He could picture the scene. Put his ear to the wall, and like a distant scream, he heard one guitar. It just blew him away. He saw stars in his eyes. And the very next day, bought a beat up suit ah. It's a, a second hand store. Didn't know how to play it. But he knew for sure that one guitar.
1: Bang! Yes. It's,
0: I'm getting chills just saying these words. Yeah, it's
1: so dumb, but it's it's
0: perfect.
1: Well, it's it is it is it's. But it, it embodies that
0: true spirit of like when you want to start playing rock and roll when you're a kid. That's what happens. You're yep. like, I want to play music. What's the first thing you got to do? Get get a guitar. Yep. And then, like you're playing it, <laughs> and then one day you're like, "I should get an amp." Yep. <laughs> and then you plug it into an amp, and it's just like the whole world just comes to your fingertips.
1: Yeah, or something. It's fun, and it's got that sense of you know, yeah, the curtains are pulled back, and the lights are blaring, and there's this like rock and roll band. Yeah, uh, the rock and roll dream. Yeah, it's the rock and roll dream, man, and it's. I mean, it's obviously it's it's been used from the time of like, you know, early rock and roll, like Chuck Berry, you know, I'm sure he came out on stage playing Johnny B. Good. This sure, crowd yeah. probably lost their freaking minds, yeah. man. It's like. But is there another song that actually before this that talks about being a rock star,
0: like going out and being a rock star? I can't think of one.
1: Well, it's interesting. It's like, I'm sure there's probably like a New York Dolls tune or something, you know, it's like that has i I, not off the top of my head i can't think about it but just this idea that these guys were sitting around and they were just like let's just write a song about what it's like to just to just it's almost as if they like wanted to bring anybody into the fold that didn't play an instrument and be like this is what it's like to want to play an instrument yeah to want to like you know to to go to the uh the county fair when you're like a little kid and see see like a rock band even if it's like i mean i've heard people of being turned on to play music because they saw like a beatles tribute band you know and they were like ah, i just you know just saw these guys they weren't the beatles but i wanted to play guitar because they were really having fun
0: so he started rocking yes (laughs) ain't never gonna stop gonna keep on rocking
1: pre-chorus slams you right into yeah halftime
0: Boss, (laughs) hero
1: uh, okay. yeah, you know yeah yeah, it's great.
0: All right, well, before we get off track, let's get into the food. All right, so trying to decide what Foreigner was going to be, it 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 hit me like a light bulb, like a light bulb went off. You know, after I looked at a couple of facts, one, the band Foreigner is called Foreigner because half of the members are from America and half of the members are from. England. So the idea is that no matter where they are, they're foreigners. So Mm. they don't really truly belong anywhere. Mm. They're kind of like, you know, they they kind of came together in New York City. And you know, once they started putting this music together, you know, it just became the epicenter of fun. Happiness. You know, this music is good and it transcends everybody's. Mothers everywhere love this band. My mother loves foreigner. That's, (laughs) when I think of foreigner, I think of my mom rocking. (laughs) And and uh, you know, and these days you can find them at your state fairs everywhere, mm-hmm. bowling alleys. Where else? You can hear you can hear them anywhere where an AOR standard rock station is playing. Carnivals. You're yeah. hearing foreigner. And what food goes with all that? But a corn dog. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> foreigner is a corn dog. Here we go.
1: Yeah, foreigner, they don't get any respect. Well, it's interesting. I feel like you know if, if we if we broaden the scope a the little, the Rodney danger field of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Def Leppard doesn't get proper respect. I feel like a lot of bands. kind of I disagree?
0: Yeah, I'm half. I'm halfway there, but they Def Leppard can still fill a stadium. Well, I think
1: foreigner could too.
0: Well, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess they're on the state fair level. They're they're like as popular as like say Chicago. Ouch. That's not bad. Chicago's a great band. Yeah, but I mean, like they don't, they're not filling stadiums. They're filling theaters. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess you could say that maybe their catalog with, you know, with reaching its fan base is maybe too diffuse because they've had they've had hits over like forty years. And you know, when you do that, I think your fan base gets stretched out over time. like you you take a band like Slayer. Mm. They had a hard time filling stadiums in the last five to seven years because, you know, let's be honest, like a lot of Slayer fans that I know who own Rain and Blood, or you know, all these other records that they've done. I think they got kids now, yeah. So you know, can you really go see, you know, it's like, ah, maybe you can." but it's also like, ah, maybe I want to just like relax and just, you know, yeah. Chill out. Um, so it's a little bit like that. I'm sure with Foreigner, where it's like maybe some of their fan base is a little, you know, they can't access the the, the theater as as much. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I wonder what a what a Foreigner audience
0: looks like because I mean these songs are. I mean, like, I mean, Rain and Blood is is still a little frightening compared to Foreigner. Like Foreigner, sure. Yeah, I'm sure a five year old, six year old kid could still get down with a Foreigner track. Yeah. You know, before before Slayer.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean. <laughs> I guess it's also that you know as as art and music rolls on there's there's so much new stuff that comes out that people's tastes change but one thing's for sure I mean Foreigner's catalog has stood the test of time in terms of of great songwriting I mean I want to know what love is I mean you could rag on that song if you want but yeah. it's it's
0: a, I've been thinking about that song a lot and yeah. it's really brilliantly constructed Mm -hmm. like the chords from a an analytical standpoint are very good it really really nails the job of evoking these emotions and i was listening to an interview and he was sort of thinking when he wrote that song he had it in his mind the the righteous brothers and if you think about the righteous brothers singing that song it's it's perfect
1: yeah, I could like an unchained melody kind of vibe, right? Yeah. It just opens up into this like. Or you've lost that love and feeling. Yeah. 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 It's, it, yeah, it smacks of that. Or, or uh, you know, if you think about like the Walker Brothers or something, it, it yeah, smacks of yeah, that. Yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, you know, now we're getting into the nuts and bolts of just songwriting. Yes. Which is, you could take a song that was written in the 50s, reorchestrate it and retool it mm. and present it now. And again, great songwriting. I mean, you know, it's, yeah. it's, and that's at the core of, of of yeah, Foreigner. I, and I get it. It's, it's, you know, I think bands around the time of Foreigner were really subject to how they would be marketed. Yes. Which is a death sentence for some artists. Certainly. Because you've got some great songs, you've got some incredible artists marketed incorrectly. Sure. Like you think of like Hootie and the Blowfish. Darius Rucker is a, Juggernaut of a songwriter, is he? Take, yeah. Take away. I had no idea. Take away Hootie and the Blowfish, and just listen to his songs and the songwriting. Hmm. It all stands there. It's all it's rock solid. It's concrete. You know. Yeah. Again, different time, marketing. You know, it's it can sure. be it could be a little bit. You know, uh, it can alienate some artists, and I think foreigner maybe hinges on that a little bit. Well. It seems to be that case today. But they are of
0: a certain breed of rockers, you know, of the late 70s. Like, Foreigner got started, their first record came out in 1977. Mm-hmm. They were sort of mentioning their one of their very first shows. They were playing for a Bill Graham, like, event. And they were the first band. They are supposed to play at 8.30 a.m., maybe, something like that. And all day, like, on on the bill for the rest of the day was just like all of your typical San Francisco artists. Um, Oh man. I just looked it up. The day on the green festival is what it was called. Started in 1973. And this was the 1977 version. You got your Fleetwood Mac, Doobie brothers, Eagles, Steve Miller band, heart, Peter Frampton, Leonard Skinner, Santana, outlaws pointer sisters. I mean, come on. Hey, Led Zeppelin even played day six and seven, I guess. But yeah, the definition of mid-70s rock right there. And Foreigner opened it up. So there you go. Like a lineup of just the who's who of those days. Mm. Um, and they were the first band and they're like, yeah, great, no one's going to be here. But the second they opened up the curtains, it just filled. People were just running to get to the front row, to get into the stands. And within like 20 minutes, like the the whole arena was packed. And they came out and basically played everything off their first record because that's all they had. <laughs> right. Yeah. And when they got done, they wanted an encore and they were backstage. And, and Bill Graham's like, What are you going to do? You don't let your audience stay out there? So they're like, Well, they had just started working on a new song, Hot Blooded. Oh. They had just started recording it. And, and Lou didn't even have the lyrics yet for it. So they came out and played Hot Blooded. And he, he sang this, the first verse three times in a row. Because that's
1: all he had. Yeah.
0: But you know, at, at that at that point they went back into the studio and like finished it up and got it out like within the next week. Because yeah. like, we gotta, we gotta capitalize off of this. But leading to that, Foreigner sure already had the songs, but you're nothing without a good frontman. And it took a long time to find their front man. They had actually another version of Foreigner before the current lineup that we all seem to know, which really consists of Lou Graham you know mm. <laughs> Lou Graham is is in all practical purposes like foreigner um he was playing before he was in foreigner he was in a band called Black Sheep mm. and they were signed and they were doing mediocrely well they had a couple records they were on Capitol and they were about to open up for Kiss Kiss was going to go on the road in 1975 and on their way home, Black Sheep, their truck fell off the highway because it was like Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of ice, and the truck fell over, and all of their equipment was destroyed. They wanted to continue. So they called up their record label, said, Can we get new equipment? And they're like, Sorry, we can't. We're not going to front the bill. Mm. And they called up Kiss to like, Kiss, all of our equipment broke. Is there anything you can do? You know what Kiss did? What? <laughs> Dropped him from the tour. <laughs>
1: That's some Gene Simmons like, shit right there.
0: Kiss, right? Kiss? I, there's no like, oh, you can borrow my guitar.
1: <clears throat> my nah. amp. Nah.
0: Sorry nope. guys. Yeah. But fortunately, like days previous to that, a young Mick Jones had just listened to the black sheep record and said, I think this is the guy I want to be in my band. So I called him up. He said, Hey, I want you to Lou Graham. I, I, you should join my band. I got this new band happening. And he's like, nah, man, I'm all set. I've got another band going. He's mm. like, well, I'm going to call you again and I'm going to keep bugging you. And mm-hmm. a week later, He calls him up again. like, how's things going now? And he's like, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. And he asked the other members of Black Sheep, and they said, we don't even have amplifiers. Sure, go ahead. You can try something new. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it was one of those instantaneous. The second he started singing Feels Like the First Time, which was kind of like their first tune, that was like the first song that uh, essentially created the sound of Foreigner. It was the first thing that came out of Mick Jones's guitar, where he said, hey, this is going to be the new thing. Lou Grant came in, sang that song, and they said, We got something here, boys. So, yeah, so we know these two guys in Foreigner. There's another famous guy in Foreigner. His name is Ian McDonald. Ian McDonald was in the original lineup of King Crimson. Oh, that's yeah, kidding. Yeah. So he, he was playing on that 21st century schizoid man and all that stuff, that first record. He's yeah. on there, playing saxophone and guitar. Nice. Yeah. So they've got some credentials. You know, it's foreign, it isn't just a bunch of, bunch of doofuses. I don't know
1: well, I think that's you know going back to to foreigner and, and you know their their synth era and how they write you know modally it's 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 it takes a certain level of, of craftsmanship to to make those songs work, certainly because if you sat down to play them on acoustic guitar, some of them you can, the early ones you can. Yeah, but the later ones, you're like, whoa, weird. It's like yeah, they're little sl- they slip in and out of these different keys, you know. But yeah. it's 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 genius in a mm-hmm. way, you know. Yeah, there's certainly you know students of the
0: Beatles era, like they they all say that the Beatles is a big part of it. You know, Lou Graham, even though he's a, he's a bit younger than Mick Jones, mm-hmm. um, he he remembers when he was twelve years old seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And to him, that was the moment that changed his life. He said, dad, I, that's what I want to do. I want to be a rock and roll star. Mm. And his dad said, yeah, I don't think so. Because his dad was a saxophone player. So he mm. was a musician as well. Right. Um, and he was just like, no, man, this is a hard life. Yeah. So he told him, you know, you, you can give it a shot, but, you know, don't don't sell your entire life just for your dreams. You should have a backup. So he went to school and got a degree in arts and in education. And, um, you know, but it didn't seem to matter. He just had that magical voice. He had, You know what? He wanted to be a jukebox hero. He did. But Lou Graham still co-wrote most of their hits. Right. Um, so most recently, the two of them were inducted into the, not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but like the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Okay. Um, which was a moment that the two of them got into the room for the first time in a number of years, 10, 15 years, something like that. And that was when they found a new mutual respect for each other. Mm. You know, I, I think at that point there was a rift, you know, as they had said, once he started getting into the softer schmaltzy synthesizer 80s stuff, you know, Lou really wasn't into it. And meanwhile, Nick was like, ah, Lou can't sing anymore, kind of a thing. They just started, you know, poking at each other.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, after they had some time apart, they, they sort of realized, you know, we couldn't have done this thing without each other. And so now apparently they're on good terms. Yeah. So there's something about that partnership, like your Lennon, Lennon and McCartney thing, mm-hmm. that that these two guys had, for, for better or for worse. I mean, it's obviously not the Beatles, but you can't argue with their body of work. There's some great songs. Objectively, they're f- fantastic songs.
1: Yeah, yeah, they really are. And their contribution to the the rock and roll catalog is... It really stands the test of time. Yeah, no one hit wonders there. Yeah, you know? and we'll continue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's great. I, I highly recommend seeing them now because it's 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 just really cool. You know, well, it's like seeing like the you know the New York Philharmonic play Beethoven. It's like, sure, yeah. Did those symphonies sound like that back then? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they sound this way now, and it's yeah. it's wonderful to see. So it's yeah, yeah while you still can. Well, I mean, they were planning before the pandemic to do
0: what they were calling the Double Vision Tour. Because I know it was like the 40th anniversary of Double Vision. So they actually got the original lineup of the band back together. Mm -hmm. And the two bands, the New Foreigner and that band, were going to go on tour together. Nice. That's something I'd like to go see.
1: I would see that. Yeah, definitely. I would see that. It's just cool to see these guys. I mean, it would be, you know, yeah, like it would be cool to see the Beatles. Yeah. If they relaunched a tour. I mean, obviously it would of course. it would be so big. They'd probably have to tour for like three years, you know, it's like yeah.
0: maybe longer, maybe like four yeah. or five years. Yeah. They could do their acoustic
1: stripped down yeah. tour. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we still had those guys, you know, yeah. on this planet, it's like, so yeah, it's, it's 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 great that they're still, you know, trying to do that, but can Lou Graham sing anymore? He can. He still can. He can. Okay, cool. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard Nick Jones talk a little a little
0: crap about it he doesn't think Lou sings as well as he used to at one point in time. In fact, even went so far as to like be upset that, that he was going out singing these foreigner songs, you know, cause one of the things that happened in the band in their history, they had a number of hits and then they started to get schmaltzy. And then Lou was like, I want to do my own thing. And then he went off and he did midnight blue. Remember that song? Like, which yeah, I more, do. It sounds, it sounds like a foreigner song. Okay. And so, you know, Mick Jones was like, well, why, why did you have to go off and just make another foreigner record? Right it's like the same thing that Steve Perry did like Steve Perry was like left journey for a minute to go do his solo album and he does oh sherry and the guys in journey are like that's that's a journey song why why do you have to be by yourself to do a, another journey song? what's the point
1: yeah, yeah,
0: so, so let's examine their catalog a little bit. They have their first two records, which are the self titled record which mm-hmm. has your cold
1: as ice and mm-hmm. your Feels like the first time. Yeah, feels Cold like eyes. Feels like first time. Cool as Eyes. Star Rider, which is a great tune. Is this? <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, it's got it's got some. You know, even like I said, some of the B side doesn't. Isn't this the one that has the song that you and Jeff like too? No, that comes way later. That was yesterday. Is is off of uh, Agent Provocateur in oh. nineteen eighty four. Oh. And it's uh, I think it's the, yeah, it's the second song on that album, and it's. It's got that sort of like Cynthia. If you think of the 77 album, it's a guitar rock album. Yeah. It's got great guitar riffs. Yeah. It's got, you know, powerful choruses. It's arena rock, right? I mean, if arena rock was, 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 is a genre, obviously it is. Um, It is. They kind of, they kind of made it arena rock. Yeah. These guys, them and Sticks and, yeah. Journey Company. Yeah. 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 They like, they were like, let's make this. Big, um, yeah. These just, these huge, like, you could picture kisses. Uh, you know, I, I want to rock and roll all night and party. Area. I mean, I've, yeah. been, I've been in Nassau Coliseum, and every single person was singing that song. Sure, yeah.
0: So, yeah. Um, Not to mention that the, the songs are slow enough that a large room doesn't really have to worry about echo. You feel like it feel, feels like the first time. <laughs> 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 there's just, there's room and space for like the sound to like hit the back and come come back and not
1: like mess the song up that's that's the statement right there when Def Leppard was making Hysteria they didn't want to use too many Tom Toms and the reason was that in an arena rock setting Tom Toms get lost they muddy up the what you're what you're wanting to hear from the back of the arena so yeah that's that's a great statement yeah it's Uh it's it's music made to be played on an extremely large stage. Sure. Which is why sometimes I've seen like some thrash and power metal bands and I'm like in the back and I'm like, this really doesn't, trans- you know, Yeah, this guy's playing a blast beat. It just sounds like <laughs> he's throwing drums down the stairs, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. So they got their first three records um, and they're sort of, going down less in popularity as time goes on. Their, their third record didn't quite do so well. Um, so Nick, in in his uh, Cocaine Fury, decided to kick out a couple of members of the band uh, and pare it down to a four-piece. And then they hired producer Mutt Lang. We've talked about Mutt Lang before, because Mutt Lang was the guy who produced Highway to Hell and uh, Back in Black. So he just got done finishing Back in Black, and in fact, Foreigner were sitting waiting for Mutt Lang to finish that album before he could go and work on Foreigner's Four and it's, yeah. and I've never thought of it that way, but you think about it, the Sonic Temple between Back and Black and Four are not, not too far away. Interesting. Like, if you think about jukebox heroes, and especially when they get to the end, and, and he makes Lou go, jukebox hero! Like, they hit that super high note. Jukebox hero! Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We just did it. <laughs> what
1: about what about uh yeah mutt Lang also produced pyromania and hysteria yes right well they wanted they fired jim steinman yeah because they were like they had had a taste of mutt yeah and they could not have mutt for <laughs> they, they waited for him oh they and did? then eventually they gave him his rate which was like yeah. the def leopard made the record label give him the money so right. I, that's why yeah. I, hysteria is like one of the most expensive records ever made is because they're like, you know what? Yeah. Scrap this year or year and a half's work of work with this guy. Sure, We want Mutt. So yeah. So Yeah. Um how do you feel Mutt's contributions to that record paid off? I mean, did it did it improve their Oh, enormously. Revolutionized yeah, their Yeah, it
0: totally restarted their entire career because, you know, they they decided they needed to go in a different direction. In fact, when they were writing a lot of these songs, they were playing as a trio, uh, with with Nick Jones playing guitar, Mutt Lang on bass, and mm-hmm. then Lou Graham also played drums. So the three of them would actually craft a lot of the songs and put a lot of the stuff together. Yeah. So I mean, you know, Mutt's contribution to, to this album is like enormous yeah. and kind of restarted it, you know, also produced the song Waiting for a Girl Like You, which was sort of the beginning of this new soft rock direction. Yeah. That they were finding a lot of success in. Very cool. It's their second biggest song on Spotify after the big one. I want to know what love is. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, it's funny. You can watch some old tape of, of them recording. I, I want to know what love is. Mm-hmm. And you can see Mick Jones just looking over everything and be like, Isn't this amazing? And Lou Graham just being like, Yeah, whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's like, Yeah, he's like, Go get me some coke. <laughs> well, wait, we didn't really talk much about 1978's double vision. Yeah, we did. Which I think is that I actually, I owned that. I bought that tape. I don't know, probably back in like 91 or 92 sure. or something. And I, I lo- you know, it opens up with hot blooded.
0: Yeah. I bought um, that on vinyl maybe
1: three years ago. Blue morning, blue day. Oh, good one. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. It's like pretty, pretty amazing. Um, And then, yeah, obviously the title track, double vision. Uh, And then, you know, they threw a little hot blooded live on there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this, This also, like, bands like these often, you know, we talked about, like, we talked about the Ramones. We've talked about, like, several bands and how back then it was, you know, they might write, like, 100 songs or something like that and then trim it down to, you know, seven or eight for a record, you know? Labels were giving money. I mean, you know, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, it took 11 years to make rumors, I believe. It's like, you know... Labels had a vested interest in making sure that you could bring forth the best product. Sure. And, you know, the fact that Foreigner was able to string this many hits along as mm-hmm. they went. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah to have multiple hits. Incredible. Like, like every record had multiple hits on it.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: So, yeah, the record labels just kind of kept giving them money. And they just kept producing and just getting bigger, outdoing themselves, and, and that sort of becomes the goal. I think with a lot of these bands, it's like, how am I going to outdo my last thing? Yeah, and then of course the cocaine as well. I, uh, I'm about ready for a corn dog. How about you? Let's go to the state fair and see Foreigner. And you got it. Grab a corn dog. Now we're gonna make homemade corn dogs. I, you know, this this morning I woke up. And I completely forgot that we were going to even be recording this podcast. I was like, just <laughs> hanging around. I was like 930. I'm like, I feel like I got the whole day to do nothing. And then I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the store and just buy some corn dogs. And, and <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a New York thing. I feel like in New York, you could very easily buy a large bag of corn dogs at any convenience store. Mm. I don't know why I couldn't find any corn dogs. I guess that's just not a part of the New York food.
1: I know Nathan's makes a, like an, like an oven or a microwavable oven one, but yes. I've only seen, it's like more of like, Hey, look at that. Like one time. Yeah. Rather than like, <laughs> yeah, I know where to get them. I know I could tell you where we could get like Jamaican, like beef patties. Sure. Yeah. I can tell you where you want to buy like a whole tray of like, you know, diner ready, like McDonald's, like hash browns. But I can't tell you where to find a corn dog, but I can tell you like, you know, yeah. You'd think that they'd be, like, right next to the chicken nuggets or something. Yeah. But guess yeah. again.
0: I mean, or else, it's just, I, I mean, there's something about that food that isn't like, yeah, this is how we're going to consume our calories for the day is by eating corn dogs. <laughs> I'm certainly we could do better. Let's just go for, like, the, the fish sticks. <laughs> like, at least we're eating a fish, not even, like, we don't even know what the meat in the middle is. Yeah. but to, Today, we know what the meat in the middle is because we're making them homemade. So, <laughs> let's go. Let's go get the oil started. Here we go. All right. We're wasting moments in the country. That was colder far away. Ooh. Yeah, we are. Love to So much perreskin. I'm a sucker before you whisper it's okay. Yeah, baby. Oh, thank you. Yeah, of course.
1: Thank you. You bet. The corn dog king.
0: It's corn dog time. So we had to make our own corn dogs.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you you spearheaded that initiative, which you know, I guess that makes you the uh, the Lou Graham of this session. <laughs> no, the the Mick the Mick Jones. Oh, sorry, the Mick Jones of this session. Yeah. Um.
0: Corn dogs are not too hard to make, a little bit harder than I thought, but once we got the hang of it, it was pretty easy. So you need two things. You need a dog, then you need to make the batter. The batter is essentially a little bit more corn flour to a smaller portion of regular flour. So I put a cup and a half of corn flour, and they recommend like a fine-grain corn flour. Um, If your corn flour doesn't specify which kind of grain it is, then it's it's probably fine, mm-hmm. finely grained. Um, you mix that with uh, a cup and a quarter of flour, a tablespoon of baking powder, and then it's at a quarter cup of sugar. And I think these are a little sweet. What do you think? I have absolutely perfect. Is it? Okay. Yeah, I so, like that it's a little bit sweet. All right, we'll go with it then. Qu- quarter cup of sugar. Um, mix that all together. Sift that together. Then in another bowl, you put in an egg, one and three quarters cup of it said buttermilk, but what did we use? We used something weird.
1: We used I, I picked up at the store um this. It's like a pea protein milk. Mm. And it's got a few grams of sugar in it per, I think, six ounces. And uh it's not that sweet, but it yeah, it's like milk. Um, I don't know. I like I'm really loving these right now. So I feel these like these are awesome. Yeah, whatever you used, like maybe <laughs> maybe make sure to definitely write it down and put it in the show notes.
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I am saying it, so I don't forget. Mm. Um, and then uh, it said to put a tablespoon of honey. I put in a tablespoon of maple syrup, as I am sure you would guess. Um, then, then you mix the wet ingredients with the white ingredients, and uh, I found it actually needed about a quarter cup more of the milk um, because you want it to be thick, but not too thick. I had it; it was so thick, like I could look. It could have been made into a cookie or something or a brownie. And so you kind of want to get in between there, maybe just a little bit thicker than like your your typical pancake batter, I would say, uh, but not much. Then you stick that in a tall like pint glass. And then you, you put a, a stick inside of your your hot dog, and they also they want you to to dry it off so that you have like a dry a dry piece of meat. That way it'll uh, stick to the batter a little better and not fall mm-hmm. off. So then we got a skillet going of some canola oil. Um, we heated it up, you know, kind of put a a dab of the batter in there, so we could sort of test to see how if it was hot enough, and it was. So we, we put the dogs in. We found the best thing is not to just sort of drop it in there, because otherwise it'll it'll kind of flatten and go to the bottom of the pan. It's good to take two and kind of swirl them, you know, kind of like you, like you're roasting a marshmallow. Just kind of swirl it around, and, and as soon as it starts to get you know a little solidified on on the outside, then you kind of rest them in the pan. And it cooks for like two minutes two, three minutes if your your oil is hot enough. You know, as soon as you got it at the right consistency, take them out, put a couple more in. Then we put them in an oven of 350 to sort of like bake in or eliminate the remainder of the oil. Kind of like just give it a little t- touch of crisp. And then and that's it. We use two different kinds of hot dogs. One was uh, your standard Nathan's hot dog, 100% beef. And then at the Polish market in my neighborhood, I picked up, which looked to be like some fancy wieners, which were made of uh, pork and veal. That's the one I've eaten so far. I haven't even gotten into the Nathans. Thank you for the water there. Um, And we didn't have any mustard or ketchup. So on the spot, we made like a Chipotle mayonnaise. We just mixed some mayonnaise with uh, Frank's Red Hot Sauce. And it's perfect. (laughs) <laughs> charlie's going in for thirds so i like that
1: i gotta say happy first of all happy birthday to nate ah thank you. this is the best way it's it's almost like what is it like the croatian birthday where they like that you know you have to pay for all the drinks you have to pay for the dinner so i feel grateful and blessed <laughs> that nate came into my home heated up the stove and did the oil and made corn dogs Man. on his birthday so thank you for that my pleasure the other thing I think I, I really want to put in about these corn dogs that I like so much is they have like um like a cornbread feel like a su- now I like a sweet cornbread. No. So when we do our when we do our episode where we <clears throat> we do fried chicken, you know, we'll we'll partner that with a sweet cornbread which I like, mm. you know. So I like my hot chicken a little I like my my fried chicken rather a little hot and then I like my cornbread a little sweet. Kind of balance that out. So this Mm -hmm. gives you like a little bit of both. Because hot dogs, any any kind of versed or hot dog is going to be famously salty, yeah. Just because of the way that the meat is cured and then treated. So this sweetness of the corn. I think corn dogs are supposed to be a little sweet. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the past, when I've been in Coney Island, I've had corn dogs, and they've been, you know, the batter's really fluffy. But I think you get that with when you work with a professional fryer, you get that airy fluffiness when you're, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a science to getting those together but sure sure. these are amazing i mean yeah
0: these are these are way better than i expected
1: yeah um
0: kind of like foreigner way better than you expected you mm. go see them live and they deliver Yeah, you know? yeah and they don't get any you know nobody cares about corn dogs you don't find corn dogs it's hard to just find a corn dog at the, you know at the thing and you, you forget about it but every time you eat one you're like dang that is really good
1: yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean it's it's like the perfect, uh, you know, it's like it's like the the bun that keeps on giving, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know.
0: you know, kind of like uh, like the the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, well, let's talk about that for a second. Like, mm-hmm. the
1: foreigner apparently
0: is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, apparently, it sounds like they've ticked off some of the key members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that have, and according to the members of foreigner, they say they will never get in because of like these beefs that particular members of the voting population of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I, I kind of wonder if that's true or if it's just like someone being a baby about it, you know? And then they're like, well, I don't even care if I'm in, <laughs> a, in it or not, you know, as long as the fans like us. But you can tell when, when you see interviews with Mick Jones that, you know, he really wants to be respected by his peers. And yeah. he, he really doesn't feel like he is, though, I mean he knows that he has this body of work and he does have the fans and they've sold whatever, maybe 60 million records, something crazy like that. Wow. You know, back in those days. Uh, So I'm going to, I'm going to take one bite of the Nathan's one. I've eaten, I've eaten the, the natural, the natural
1: Polish hot dog. Mm -hmm. That was so good.
0: It was. I haven't even had the Nathan's yet. So I'm going to do that.
1: I got to say the Nathan's has that, um, you know, it's just got that quality of, of, like you, you know it's like a, a store bought nathan's hot dog you know what you're getting but it's it's i like it yeah. it's good yeah. yeah we talked about the rock and roll hall of fame in regards to motley Crue. again you yeah. know it'll be my favorite band of all time and uh what's more rock and roll than not being allowed in the rock and roll hall of fame mm-hmm. you know i mean i get it you know true that it's like you're you know you just keep on rocking man and nobody <laughs> you know you're just never gonna stop Ain't. No- <laughs> Never gonna stop. I guess maybe that's that's the difference between, you know, Nikki Six and um Nick Ronson. Mick Ronson. Mick Ronson. No, yeah. not Mick Ronson Mick Ronson. Mick Jones. Mick Jones. Yeah. Oh wait, but you have yeah, well then you're gonna segue into that. But it's yeah. it's I don't think Nicky six I think Nikki Six just cares that he's alive and like, you know, his, his he gets to play his music and mm-hmm. sure the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame probably writes him a letter every now and again, like, Hey, you know we're not letting you in, right? And he's probably like, Yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> Uh so, so Charlie and I we we keep we keep calling him Mick
0: Ronson. Which actually Ron, Mick Ronson is the guitar player for David Bowie, different Ronson. Not related to uh who's the other Ronson? Is it Mark Ronson?
1: Yeah, Mark Ronson. Mark Ronson is, is the real guy. Mark Ronson is is the record producer. Famous for working with Duran Duran, Amy Winehouse,
0: yeah, Miley
1: Cyrus. Not to mention put together Uptown Funk
0: like the biggest song of the decade. Yeah, he Yeah, he's the man. He really is. And happens to be the stepson of Mick Jones of Foreigner. It's such a weird world that we live in. Apparently, Foreigner obviously was a big influence on him as he was growing up, Mark Ronson, the DJ producer. When his mother married Mick Jones, mm. ended up growing up in that household and and obviously there was music happening all the time. Cuz Mick Jones not only just did Foreigner, you know, he he got called in to do some producing gigs too. Did you really know he also co-produced 5150 from Van Halen, the very first Sammy Hagar record?
1: That's awesome. That's, <laughs> a,
0: that's a great record. He, I didn't know he was It was supposed to be like as a uh, as a rebuttal to "Eat 'Em and Smile, David Lee Roth's record, which produced which was produced by Ted Templeton. Seth Templeton's the guy that had done all of the Van Halen records up to them. Okay. And then for some reason, he he was on board with David Lee Roth for David Lee Roth's very first solo record. Not including the EP, of course. Mm-hmm. It's just a gigolo and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He made a record that sounded just like Van Halen with Steve Vai and Billy Sheen and, and uh, Greg Bessonet. Mm-hmm. And um, so they wanted to sort of make a record that sounded very different than that. Um, so they initially had... It's it's co-produced. They they've got the the same engineer that worked with Ted Templeton. Then they they brought in the guy from Foreigner because they just wanted a more polished sound. Hmm. Um, and he says it was really easy to do. Like the band obviously was always all very well rehearsed. You know, Sammy Hagar obviously sings like a champ. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, that record's great. Actually, has my very favorite Van Halen song of all time. Even though I'm on board with the you know the non Sammy Hagar stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. Like dreams, like moves me to tears every time wow. I hear that song. It's like regularly <clears throat> on my running playlist. Wow, it pumps me up. Holy, I can cow. love dreams.
1: Yeah, it's a great song.
0: Such a great song.
1: Great song, and you know, arguably a different band. Yeah, uh, than than you know the DLR days. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, we we talk about changing a singer, and we talk about different eras of a band, and you know. I love Kelly Hansen. I've only seen him once. He's the he's the he's the new singer of Foreigner. Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, he's about as close to Lou Graham as you can get as far as the voice goes. Yeah. As far as the voice goes, but um then there is now this element of like just powerhouse lead singer who really holds it down and, you know, just just does an amazing job just Giving the songs just the, the the care and attention that that any live singer would give them. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So it, it was really kind cool. of this, kind of like the same
0: thing as you were saying before with Journey. Like they brought in a new singer when when Steve Perry didn't want to do it anymore. Right. I mean, arguably Steve Steve Perry was still a great presence on stage. Could yeah. really like hold an audience.
1: Yeah. And that's sometimes you know sometimes all you need is just that. So there you go. There's there's my I just texted you my wedding photo. There you go. <laughs> Oh man, what are you wearing? Uh, oh okay. All right. That's a black <laughs> this is a black t-shirt, but oh my god. It's before I got my front tooth fixed. So my my front tooth is yellow. Yeah. And my hair was overgrown yeah. because uh, I was just too lazy to get a haircut. So yeah, there you go. But that's it's you know, it's funny like unintentionally If you look at that photo, you could be like, this was probably taken in like 1987. Absolutely. Like if you put it through a filter where it was like a Polaroid filter, you know, you could do that now with uh, some of these new apps on the phones. Let me tell you what's
0: going on here for folks at home that are wondering. Um, Okay. So, so your, your lovely wife, Kristen is wearing a, is this a mini skirt? Not quite a mini skirt. No, it's, it's a skirt. It's It's a a onesie. Strapless onesie. Okay. Um, Pink leopard print. Um, showing awesome tattoos.
1: Um, Charlie is wearing a black tank top. Is it, no, that's a sleeveless t-shirt. Uh, it's actually a. It's like you know what it is. It's actually a small. It's a. It's a. It is a shirt that is too small for me. It is a black <laughs> shirt that is too small for me. And to be honest, it was probably her shirt. <laughs> oh, and then black. I'm gonna guess black leather pants. Um, uh, I think just my old my my regular old skinny Levi's. My five o ones.
0: Nice.
1: Yep. And then she's got a nice,
0: lovely bouquet of flowers. Yep. <laughs> and uh, they look very happy. It's a little frightening, but in a good way. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This is. This is 1985, is what this screams. It really looks. Like. <laughs> it but really looks. But this is 2010.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is 2000. No, this is 2011.
0: 2011.
1: Uh, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue this. I feel like both you and I and Kristen were probably born in the wrong, wrong set of decades. I, I'm with you there. Probably should have been born in like the the early 60s, um, or or like the late 60s, and had seen my way through the 70s and 80s. Got to be like around maybe like 20 something years old in the in the 80s would have been great. Yeah. You know, uh, skiing, rock climbing, and like you know, going to see Rat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Or being a part of R.A.T.
1: Yeah, well, that's the other thing, too. Yeah. It's like, God only knows, like, yeah. what. Because, you know, session work was so prevalent then. Like, when we talked about Will Calhoun mm-hmm. and him playing for ha- Harry Belafonte. Yeah. I was like, wow, really? And he was like, I think he was t- he was younger than 20 when he was playing with Harry. Insane. Um, and obviously, you know, a colossal talent on the kit. But, you know, work was just everywhere yeah. around that time. So, yeah. Well, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing.
0: Yep, we can't we can't go back in time and see Styx doing the Mr. Roboto tour. We can't go see, you know, Journey with their original Hammond organ player and yeah, all that stuff is behind us. We're stuck with this new version of Foreigner, still cranking out the hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all I got about Foreigner. I can't think of another thing.
1: Me too. No, no crazy stories, right? No, like. You know, I mean, uh, they did the drugs that everybody does, yeah. It just seems like they were just kind of under the radar, yeah, maybe working most of the time, who yeah, knows, but yeah, you know
0: i I always go back and try to listen to a lot of podcasts where there's interviews with the members talking, and they all they all seem like nice, nice guys, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it seems like they get along. Um Lou certainly finds the fact that Foreigner is out on the road without any original members ridiculous and it sounds like you know he he's told mick as much and he's like i understand why he does it but i don't really you know yeah kind of a thing but um you know at the end of the day they they have this mutual respect for each other they both you know were staring down the barrel of a of, of death and both survived so
1: yeah good for them and uh we have their music yeah that we do and thank you to foreigner for you know 40 something years of great hits i mean yeah you know get into that get onto that spotify account just start digging up those old hits heck yes and the album tracks they're good too yeah absolutely yeah. and we got to maybe pull out a foreign a song during a wedding or a or a show one day see how people react for sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool man well thanks for letting me into, into your house again charlie oh you're always welcome you're my you're man always welcome it's funny every time we're together we're eating, we're eating burgers and hot dogs <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i'm like i'm refined i'm cultured you know yeah. it's like what do you want to make this week i'm like let's just make chicken nuggets <laughs> crinkle cut fries we're gonna have to figure out a salad band next week <laughs> yeah
0: getting a little congested over here a salad yeah a little full <laughs> <laughs> ah. awesome <laughs> thanks again go home and make yourself your own your own corn dog and put on your favorite foreign record i recommend four
1: Langs. yeah Mastures. four is great yeah and it's a long one too Totally. All right, ciao, ciao. Bye bye.
0: All right, folks, foreigner and corn dogs. It makes sense. It's funny, right? I gotta say, before today, I never in a million years would have recommended that anybody make their own corn dog. Like, it would make a difference if you didn't just buy the three pack of corn dogs. You know, because corn dogs, I don't know if you ever saw this, but Dave Grohl of Foo Fighters, former drummer of Nirvana, mentioned that in the early days when they were on tour, they would go to the grocery store and buy a three pack of corn dogs so that they had breakfast, lunch and dinner for the day. It was like two bucks. So corn dogs are rock and roll food. But whatever, follow my recipe, make your own corn dogs, and that's going to be a fun night. Thanks again to Charlie Schmidt for letting me come over to his house and stink up his apartment with corn dogs. Next episode, I don't know what it's going to be. But as I said, I am traveling to Asheville, North Carolina, home of Izzy's Coffee, next weekend, and I'm going to record a couple of episodes with the owner and proprietor, and proprietor, papaya, whatever. He's the guy who runs Izzy's Coffee, and he's my good buddy. Him and I have picked out a couple of bands. A, Neutral Milk Hotel. B, Tears for Fears. So, that's what's coming up. Until then, I'm your host, Nathan Palin, for This Band Could Be Your Food. If you like what you're hearing, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show so that we can get more listeners, because the more listeners we have, the more I feel I'm doing good for the world. It's very selfish, but everybody needs to carve their thing, and this is my thing now, people. Review the show. Thanks for listening to the Forner episode. Good day to ya. Cook on and rock out. Chow, chow.